Testing, testing. You want to use this? Okay, there we go. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Good to see everybody here. Everybody get your coffee, your hot chocolate, whatever, and come on in, get ready for worship. Uh, just a couple of things this morning, a couple of announcements to go over. The first one, our women's ministry, the Galentine. It's a Bible study and get-together. It's going to be on uh, Monday, February 12th. So next Monday, we're going to start that. Uh, that'll be at the Quicks home, Patty Quick. And if you don't know uh, where she lives or don't know her, just check with someone in the back in the foyer. They'll get you connected with her. And so we can start that women's ministry. And is what that's going to then become is the C3 women's ministry, Christ Coffee and Community. And that'll start then on Mondays. After Next Monday is the first Monday, and that's just a women's ministry for all ages continuing. There is a book that you want to get. Uh, the name of the book is Pilgrim that they're going to be going through. You can see the, the different websites and places you can get that book. But really, it's, this is going to be a great women's ministry, something we've been praying for. Uh, and just to bring together. So ladies, mark your calendars. It'll be Monday evening starting on the 12th. So not tomorrow, but the next Monday to get going with that. And then for the guys, we've got something for the guys also, and that's we're going to put you to work. We're going to have a men's uh, luncheon fellowship, but also a men's work day coming up on March the 2nd. So guys, if you can sign up for that and back, mainly just so we know for food, so how much uh, to prepare for the lunch. Focus is fellowship and food in the lunch, but if you can be there early and you're able to come work, come at 8 o'clock, and Anthony's got several things lined up for y'all to do. And then also uh, youth mission trip. The youth will be going on a mission trip in June. They're going to be going to Pine Bluff, Arkansas for this trip. There's about 18 or so signed up for it already, so we got a great number, a great group going. If that's something that you'd be interested in, in supporting through scholarships or through funding to help uh, some of them to go to that trip, uh, that's something you can do and just by putting the offering in your offering envelope and just marking youth trip or youth mission, and that'll make sure that it goes directly to that uh, event. But that's going to be a great, great group of youth uh, that are preparing, and it's not just we're going to go to a trip and then be and forget about it. It's preparing leading up to it, having the trip and the mission work, and then afterwards, just what have you learned, and just with a focus on missions. And just one more thing I just want to acknowledge this morning. We had 23 kids um, in our children's Sunday school class this morning. That goes from I think the youngest was eight months old to up through fifth grade. So parents, the kids don't drive themselves, I don't think. So parents, just thank you so much uh, for getting the kids here, getting them here for Sunday school. It just makes it so much better. We have a group of kids. Teachers are preparing every Sunday, whether there's one or whether there's 23. But it's just so encouraging to the teachers when they prepare. And we have lots of kids there. So that was just wonderful to see all those kids uh, in, in Sunday school this morning. And thank you, parents and grandparents for getting those kids. So again, welcome everyone to, to church. Nathan's going to be leading us in our worship uh, this morning, so let's all stand up and begin our worship service. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved by my Blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord, who 
Good, good, uh, great. You know what? I don't even have the verse I picked out, but uh, uh, it's a great day. So let's just take a moment and, and seriously, um, <clears throat> as we come before the Lord, and today in our class, we, we thought about the word redeem. What does it mean, redeem? In Scripture, the re redeemed started out, and the children of Israel were taught, and we're taught, that an animal would take the place of the sinner. So the animal was killed. His blood was sprinkled on the altar. And that animal represented the redemption. He, in, God redeemed a sinner's life and took the life of the animal. Jesus completed that and made a one sacrifice. His life is sufficient for all of our sins and all our salvation. So let's go to the Lord now. And it's also a time to reflect on our lives and how that redemption's being lived out in our life. Do we live as redeemed people, the redeemed of the Lord? Let's go to the Lord now and reflect on our life, where we're at in our walk with the Lord. Do we live as redeemed? We are redeemed if your faith is in Christ. And he has promised to complete all that he's begun in you and me through that step, that, 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 that faith in what Jesus did on the cross. A lot of things started up for those who believe when Jesus came uh, raised from the dead and we put our faith in him. 
our position before God has changed. We become abiding relationship with God in, in Christ Jesus. We become branches grafted into the vine. Lord Jesus, we ask now that you would uh, accept our worship today. You're so worthy of it and worthy of so much more. But Father, we've come today to worship you for providing our redemption through Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that today. We look at it and we, we ask that you would continue to work in our lives that we might live as redeemed. To those around us who are not redeemed, they'll find in our lives, Father, something that they would like to see themselves as we bear testimony to the finished work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And generations falling down to worship. We sing a song of angels to the land. And all who've gone before us, and all who will believe, will sing the song of angels to the land. And your name. Is the highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. All growth and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. And the angels cry. Oh 
you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, bro. 
to this time to partake of the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward if they will uncover the elements and then we will begin distributing the element of the bread to those of us who believe in Christ. As they are uncovering the elements and will distribute the bread to us, I want to remind us together, let me stand up here so you can see me. I want to remind us, as we're doing this, of the purpose and the preparation that we're to have in the Lord's Supper. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is summarized by Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six this way. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
That is, it reminds us that the purpose of the Lord's Supper and why we practice it. That the Lord's Supper is a corporate, and notice that, a corporate remembrance, visualization, and confession of our Lord's death. We do this together so that we can proclaim together the truth of what our Lord did in his life and death. And it was shown to be effective in his resurrection. Whereas baptism is a one-time act that we witness corporately as each believer in Christ does that to proclaim what Christ has done in their life. And they say through that act that they are followers of Christ. They are one of us that believe in him and put our faith in him alone. The Lord's Supper was enacted by our Lord, established by him as a regular corporate act of remembrance, a corporate act of physical proclamation of his death. In doing so, what we are doing is visually proclaiming to one another through the very physical act of we will partake of, of eating the bread and drinking the cup, that this gospel that our Lord has given us, this good news, we don't just believe it to be true, we embrace it with our very lives as we show through the symbolic act of consuming these elements. It says we believe the gospel it also says that we have placed our sole trust and hope for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We are saying by partaking of this, as each one of us does this individually, that yes, I am a believer in and follower of Christ. And third, we are saying together that we believe he will come again. Secondly, as the deacons are coming forward, let me remind you, we need to prepare ourselves in taking of the Lord's Supper, partaking of it. The Lord's Supper has to be partaken of in a worthy manner. Paul made this very clear in his writing, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. He actually tells us that we should examine ourselves, and he writes it this way, we do not want to eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Because by doing so, we drink judgment on ourselves. That is, we need to take very seriously sin in our lives, even for those of us that are believers in Christ. I want you to take this moment and consider two things. So as not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The first to ask is, are you truly a follower of Christ? Have you truly placed your faith alone in Christ alone for your salvation? Such a simple requirement, but one that is absolutely necessary to partake of the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Pilar. You see, those who partake of the Lord's Supper are actually making a physical statement. We are saying to one another, we are, we are giving witness to one another. I truly believe that Jesus is the one who died for my sin and for those of all who believe in him. And, and if you partake of the Lord's Supper and you don't believe that, you're partaking of an unworthy manner because you're actually making a confession 
of something you don't believe in. Now, if you don't believe that, we, we would just ask, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. This is not so because we, we don't want to be gracious or kind to you, but we say, don't confess something you don't believe. We would never want you to ask you to say something that you do not believe in. And for all of us that partake of the Lord's Supper, we are saying, by the act together, we believe. The second thing is, for those of us that are followers of Christ, you have to ask yourself, is there unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your life? In your life, is there sin such that you are unwilling to confess and repent of it? You may very well be a follower of Christ, believe in him and put your faith in him alone for your salvation, but you may be walking in a season of sinfulness that is unrepentant. This is particularly true, true if you're in broken relationships and don't seek to restore them, but, but Paul is thinking more broadly that if there is sin in which you're partaking of and you are unwilling to repent of it, that you desire it more than you would even desire your Lord, then, then don't partake of the Lord's Supper. That would be to take of it in an unworthy manner. This is why we examine ourselves. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you, don't, that you haven't placed your faith in Christ alone, but it does mean right now your heart is in a rebellious state towards your Lord. And you would not want to partake of the Lord's Supper if that's the, the condition of your heart. So let me give us a moment to reflect. And if there's sin, you need to confess now that you will do that. And then I'll close this in, in, in prayer. Take this time now to reflect. Father, we thank you that we're able to come together and make visible proclamation through the Lord's Supper that our Lord instituted for us to do, to proclaim his death until he comes. And so we, we pray now, Father, we rejoice in that we can say such thing as forgive us of our sin. So, Father, we pray that we would take of this in a worthy manner so that any would witness us would say, yes, those are those who follow Christ, and they truly believe in this one, who is the Messiah, the deliverer from our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and by the Holy Spirit, amen. You have the, the bread in your hand. The bread reminds us of this. The death of Christ is meaningless without the life of Christ. You see, in the bread, what we see represented to us is the very body of our Lord. Our Lord would have taken what, what we know as matzo bread that was unleavened and represented in its unleavenedness without leaven that he was sinless. And this is why the writer of Hebrews would write, he was like us in every way, fully man, fully human, except one. He was without sin. You see, we needed a sinless sacrifice from among us, and he was the one. And so the bread reminds us that it was our Lord who bore the stripes, who bore the piercing, who ultimately bore the very wrath of God on our behalf. That the sin, the judgment of sin rightfully due upon our lives was taken upon by our Lord. 
And so this reminds us that he was the sinful sacrifice, fully qualified to do that on our behalf. Before we partake of it, I'm going to ask Deacon Ted Dickerson to come forward and give, give blessing over the body. To you, we come to you. We cannot run away. We run to you, Lord, because in you is our salvation. We couldn't do it ourselves. We're just impossible people, full of so much sin, so much wrong, so, so much that is keeping us from you. But you, Lord, come to us. And you do it, Lord, perfect, sinless, wonderful. How, Lord, can we understand what it means to be redeemed. We hold here in our hands, Lord, representation of what it means. You took the agony that belonged to us. The agony that belonged to us upon yourself so that the sin that is in us, you, instead bore for us. Lord, thank you. You, among all blessings, are the greatest blessing because in you we have eternal life with you. We are grateful and we thank you, Lord, that you gave yourself in redemption. You, the Lamb of God, gave yourself we lift up your name, holy name, Jesus, and praise you. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The deacons will now come forward and they will distribute the cup to us as we partake of the blood of Christ in symbolic remembrance of his death. As the deacons are distributing the cup, I, I want to take a few moments to remind us of what the cup symbolizes, what it tells us, and what we are confessing by partaking of it. Just as the death of Christ would be meaningless without the life of Christ, lived sinlessly on our behalf, fulfilling all the law. 
the life of Christ would have been meaningless to our redemption without the death of Christ. It was necessary to pay for the punishment of our sins, bear the wrath of the Father on our behalf. You see, the cup symbolizes the blood of Christ. And we know from the, from the teaching of the Old Testament, it is in the blood that life is contained, and so it represents the taking of life. In the case of our Lord, it is telling us his death was on our behalf to satisfy the wrath of God for all who would place their faith in Christ. Our Lord partook of the Passover. This cup would have been the third cup of the Passover. In Passover, there, there's four cups that our Lord would have drank, drank from as he partook of this. There, there's the cup of sanctification, or what some call the cup of thanksgiving, that speaks to what would happen in the act of God towards the Israelites in the Exodus. And it became a way to remember this is what our God has done for us. And how he brought about sanctification for us. And the second cup that would be drank would be the cup of the plagues that remembers, as you see, that remembers what had been done in delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. And our, and our Lord would have drank of this. And then he comes to this cup, the third cup known as the cup of redemption. Or what Paul would call in 1 Corinthians 6, 10, 16, the cup of blessing. You see, here our Lord is reminding us of the very partaking of the cup, that it is our redemption that is at hand. The fourth cup, the cup that comes later, is the cup of, and you actually probably know the Hebrew word, whether you realize it or not, the cup of Hallel, or as we say it, Hallelujah, praise to God, the cup of praise. But this cup that our Lord would take it of is that third cup. And in it, he says he establishes a new covenant in his blood. A covenant not based on our righteousness. A covenant based on his righteousness. A covenant not based on the sacrifices of animals, but the cup that says it is based on the sacrifice of our Lord. Before we partake of this cup and confess together, that indeed it is the sacrifice of our Lord himself, the giving, the willing giving of his own life on our behalf. I'm going to ask Deacon K.J. Ross to come and offer a blessing over it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together this morning, Father, to be reminded of the sacrifice that your son made for us, Lord. That while we were enemies of you, while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that you came and died for us, Father. While we were, we were haters of the light, you came to make us your children. Father, allow this sacrifice, this understanding, this, this partial understanding of the sacrifice that we have to be able to remind us of how poor in spirit we are apart from you, Lord, and that by your, the shedding of your blood, you have welcomed us into our family. Thank you so much for loving us this way. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 11, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
I want us now to verbally proclaim together what we just visually proclaim together. So let's read these words together. For as often as it comes up here, for as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll ask Brother Pilar and Brother Marshall now to come cover the elements. Father, I just thank you again that we are a people that can revel in the joy of a salvation found only in Christ. God, use us that others may know our Lord. Use even this time this morning to exalt our Lord, lift him up, that others might know him, and they too might know the great joy that is found in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray and by the Holy Spirit, amen. morning. Uh, he didn't skip me this time. That's great. Uh, today's scripture is Psalms 37, 1 through 8. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for the love you give us and just for the blessings you give us, Lord. And just thank you, Lord, for bringing us here safely today, Lord, and waking us this morning and starting us on our way, Father. We, Lord, we, just, we thank you for, for being there, being there always in all situations, Lord, that we can trust that no matter what happens, we can lean on you, Lord. Lord, we pray for our pastors, Pastor Tom, Pastor Earl, Pastor Kevin, and Pastor Hank, Lord. Bless them and their families, Lord, as they, they shepherd this flock, Lord. And there are times when it's challenging, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that you bless them and give them the, the heart that they need to, to take care of us, Lord. Father, as we go, we just pray that this coming week, Lord, that everything we do and we say, Lord, will glorify you, Lord. We take the opportunity just to, to spread the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, Lord, to everyone that we meet, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us. We pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. Um, before I get started, I've got a small correction from one of my sermons. I think it was last week. 
just in case for those of you that are readers, um, I mentioned a, uh, a guy named Marshall McLuhan and said, hey, he talked about amusing or entertaining ourselves to death. Well, turns out the actual guy, and I, and I know better because I've actually read this, is, his name is Neil Postman, and he wrote Amusing Ourselves uh, to Death. So anyway, if you want to go read that book, that's the book you want to read. I'm not necessarily recommending you read it, but just, uh, just a point of fact so that it's clear uh, in case you go looking. Um, you know, one of the, the things that I've done several times now is actually hike the Grand Canyon multiple times. Uh, it's a gorgeous hike. And uh, it can be very challenging, and uh, I've had the privilege of doing that with uh, several of my children. It's been quite enjoyable. And uh, one of the things that we've also been able to do is actually see a sign that's posted in the Desert View Overlook of the Grand Canyon. You've ever been there? This is on the south rim, and it's over towards the east side. And it has, as, as you're looking, you'll see there, that's actually, there's actually two small little people ahead of me. That's uh, Katie and Ryan two of my kids that hiked with me. But if you um, go to the next slide, you'll actually see this is a Desert View Overlook, and there's this little sign over that you'll see in the bottom right-hand corner that you can't read right now, so I'll bring it. It's a little bigger. And it's actually a sign that reads, when you read that, all the earth worships thee. They sing praises to thee, thee sing praises to thee. It's based off of Psalm 60, verse 4. And it's amazing as you, you see that sign, you look over the Grand Canyon, you, Canyon, you see the grandeur of what God's done, and, and you see this verse out of Psalm 60. But that's not the sign I want to talk to you about today. There's a different sign that's also posted, and it says this. Caution, and I don't know if you can see the small print. Down is optional, up is mandatory. All right? The thing about the Grand Canyon is it's an upside-down mountain. So the hard part isn't starting. The hard part is finishing right? When you get to its apex, it's actually upside down. It's the bottom. And if you don't know, uh, depending on the trail you take from the, the south rim side, it's, it's somewhere between seven to nine miles going down. And the north rim side, it's 15 miles up because there's actually, they're actually different elevations slightly when you do it and all the cutbacks and switchbacks on the trail. But it, it gives you this caution or this warning and reminder that, yeah, if you go down, you have to come back up and what that means is you better be prepared. Um, they will fly you out for about $10,000. That's what it costs if you want to take a helicopter out of the bottom and be brought back up. Um, a lot of people start negotiating with the mules that are walking by. I, they literally think they're Balaam's donkey, I think, and they start talking to them like, please let me get on. Um, but uh, the, the reality is, is they're trying to tell you don't take this lightly. In fact, the most, most of the time, I'll tell you, they tell you the top rescues that they have to make every year is actually young men in their 20s. Yeah, that hubris of youth gets them, and they think, oh, I can make it, and if you don't know what you're doing, uh, the, what's called the South Kaibab Trail has no water on it, and you're in high mountain desert, and you will get dehydrated very quickly. There's a, usually every year they have a couple of people that die because of that on the trail, so it's very serious. This morning, that's the sign I want to use to remind us of what Psalms 37 is telling us. I want to talk about this whole idea of delight, desire, and deliverance, but I want to use this idea of a warning and a reminder that we see in Psalm 37. That there's a warning and a reminder about our lives 
that we need to pay attention to. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Psalm 37 there in the Pew Bible. It's on page 466. Here's the question I want you to consider when you think about your own life. What do you believe will bring you delight and deliverance? What do you believe will bring you delight in life, joy, happiness, satisfaction? What do you believe will bring you deliverance, peace, lack of stress? What are those things that you believe will bring that? Here's the central idea that I I want us to carry, the, the, the warning and reminder, as it were. Like that yellow sign. Here's the, here's the one that I want, to, want you to carry out of here this morning. Our confidence and trust must always, and notice that word, it must always remain in God. Just like going down is optional and up is mandatory, our trust and confidence of God is not optional. It is mandatory. It must always remain in God. And I want to walk us through this with an overview of Psalm 37 and just take, take a look at this by pointing out five mistakes that we can make in our lives that will betray us. Because this is what I think happens for Christians. For those who are truly followers of Christ, I think this is what happens. It's not that we don't trust God some of the time. It's that we don't trust God all of the time. It's not that we don't trust God in some of the circumstances. It's that we don't trust him in all of the circumstances. And and I think, look, life is like this. There are times where we're like, man, I just, I'm fully trusting God. I I don't have doubts. And there's times that come, those valleys, those, those times in our lives when we begin to wonder. For those who don't know Christ, they look and say, can God be trusted at all? And this Psalm 37 actually will speak to them and, and will talk to what happens to those who will not trust God. And you'll actually hear the words of, of those. And, and I would tell you, if you don't know Christ, if you've not placed your faith in him, as we proclaim today through the Lord's Supper, placing our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, in, the, in Jesus the Messiah, who has delivered us from our sin, if you've not placed that trust in Christ, then you're going to hear Psalm 37 speak of you in very, very dangerous ways. But for those of us that are followers of Christ, that we say we we follow after him, we've placed our faith in him, we want to do what our Lord asks of us to do, we want to follow in his ways, we want to love him, and by loving him we do what? We keep his commandments. For those of us that say we want to be those people who are known as full trusters of Christ. Psalm 37 is a reminder to us of what can happen if we're not careful. So if you're looking there in Psalms 37, let me start with the first mistake, mistake number one. Mistake number one is this. We misinterpret discomfort, stress, suffering, and injustice for God, uh, injustice for God not noticing or acting. You've got to read that carefully the way I wrote it. We misinterpret discomfort, stress, suffering, and injustice, those sort of things, for God not noticing or acting. It can happen. We, we can begin to believe maybe God really isn't taking notice of us. We believe he's omniscient. We know he's all-knowing. All, all we believe he's omnipotent. We know he's all-powerful. But my circumstances are saying there must be something afoot 
that he's not taking much notice of me. I mean, just hear the words of Psalm 37, 1 and 2. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Okay, let's stop with verse 1. Okay, what would be the problem at hand? As David writes this psalm, by the way, here's an interesting thing you won't see in the English. This is an acrostic psalm. You know how you do A, B, C, D, and you can write A, B, C, you can, or you've done this with your name, maybe, you know, you write it out, you know. You know, my name's Thomas, so T is for totally awesome. You know, H is, he's, he's, he's amazing. You, you can see where my acrostics go. O is, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's an acrostic. Hebrew does that. Every couple of verses, one, two, three, four, it's actually going through the Hebrew alphabet, right? Aleph, Beit, Gimel, goes all the way down as it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, lays it out. You won't see that, but that's what's going on. And so it becomes a way to help remember. So Psalm 37, there's others, by the way, Psalm 119, you'll see other Psalms that do this. But here, you may go, hey, this is the ABC Psalm, you know. It helps us remember. But what we will do is misinterpret, look at verse 1, David's writing, and and he's telling people, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? Because they would worry. They would be envious. And see, the mistake we, we make is we misinterpret discomfort, stress, suffering, and justice for God not noticing or acting. We begin to worry. We fret about it. We begin to become envious. We look, well, those people seem not to be having the stresses, the discomforts of my life, the injustices, so maybe I need to do what they do. Maybe that's the way to solve this problem. Because God's not acting. Well, the next mistake you'll see if you just look at verse 2 is we begin to believe this is how it will always be. See, notice how David has to remind us in verse 2, no, it's not. Notice the negative. So he says, don't be envious. Why? Because look at verse 2. If you're envious, what you've forgotten is they will soon fade like grass and wither like green herb or green vegetation. Now, we live in South Texas. It's very easy, right? How many of you have, a, a, you have that luscious, beautiful yard that's in various shades of brown, right? Okay. right. We were, we were, I was playing golf this week, and uh, we were laughing because the golf greens, they were green. And so were our golf balls. They rolled across the green because they painted them, you know? But we all know it rains, and it's rained a lot lately, Right? So your yards are probably a nice, luscious, green color. And what do we all kind of laugh because we live in South Texas? Just wait till next week, right? Because we know this won't last. That's what David has to remind us of. The mistake we will make is we will believe that the flourishing that we see in others' lives that don't follow God, that won't last. You see, for those of you, if you don't know Christ, that's actually a warning, isn't it? You may be flourishing right now in your life, but the danger is it won't last. And he's not just talking about last in this life, as we'll see. He means last into eternity. Notice the answer that that David gives. I'm going to summarize a bulk of verses here, but we're going to read them just to hear it. His answer to this is trust and delight in God, he will act. 
That, that's what David said. Don't be those forgetful people. He, he will act. Look at, look at verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And there's a lot we could do here. But he's basically saying, hey, that, that whole idea of dwelling in the land, which is what he would have told the Israelites as they were in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he has this whole idea. Look, that's the place of blessing. Stay where you have been given. Don't go chasing after other things that you're supposed to not chase after, right? Notice that word befriend, or it also be shepherd faithfulness. It's this idea of like cultivated in our lives. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it's interesting because, you know, look, out of context, it can mean, well, I'm going to get, you know, whatever I really want. You know, I mean, for those of you who know me, I, you know, I, I, I jokingly say, and this is a joke, by the way, so no one give me a truck. I just want to say that up front. I always tell people, hey, have you seen my truck? They're like, no. And I say, oh, yeah, come here, let me show you my truck. And I go, it's an F50. They're like, what's an F50? Oh, that's a minivan. See right here, this is what I drive. And I always tell my, my son, who gives me a hard time about it, because he does drive a truck, and I always tell him, on my uh, registration renewal, it says truck, you know, even though it's a van, because it's a classified that way. So that's, that's the way I get around it, right? And we know, you don't read this verse and say, if I get those things, God's going to give me a truck, right? I mean, this isn't a prosperity theology kind of idea. That's, it's not go get all the material things you want. I think that's a safe thing that hopefully as a body we understand. But what is the desire here? Well, hold a minute, go back to verse 1. The desire that, that you're going to start feeling as you go through here is I want what I see as blessings that others have. And it doesn't have to be riches. It may be lack of stress, lack of injustice or justice being done. I, I want to see there's no suffering. I want those things. And are those not noble good things? Absolutely. But what's being warned is, don't go look at how other people have them and think, maybe that's how I should lead my life. I should do it that way. No, the answer is trust and delight in God and he will act. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. And notice how he will bring forth righteousness, your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. And then notice verse 7. You want to talk about trusting God? Be still. The actual word is the way we, we would say be silent or be quiet. Just settle. Do that before God. Stop making demands of Him. Why? Wait patiently. Why? Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Your God will act. You see, we need to trust and delight in God because he will act. Don't get in a rush. 
This leads us to our third mistake. See, the third mistake, I mean, we begin to believe this is how it will always be. You see that in verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. We begin to believe this is how it always be, and so what do we do? Well, I'm going to take things into my own hands, right? Do you notice the negative inference that he's saying here? Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, right? Well, God helps those who help themselves, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to take care of business. No, what does he say? Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Wait. What does God say? Vengeance is whose? His. Vengeance is God's. Right? Um, As was pointed out to me by one of my children, how many of you like to be cheated out of money? Just making sure I don't have any hands raised, because if so, I'm going to talk to you later. <laughs> i got an oceanfront property in Arizona and other country songs I can sing to you. No, the, the reality is we don't. And I was reminded this week, I have a saying, we all give gifts to our children. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. One of my children reminded me as we were giving uh, this child counsel and advice they were very upset over being shortchanged by, by something that happened in their life. And so they were kind of going to let the person have it. And Dion and I sat there, and, and I was reminded when this child reminded me I must be a Wilson. And I thought, he wasn't saying that about his mother. He was talking about me because I'm that guy, right? Like, no, uh-uh, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail. I'm going to get justice. It's going to be right. And Dion had such a wise response. Sometimes kindness pays more. Yeah, it does. And we, we just wisely advise, pick your battle. This may not be it. I mean, I'm not saying don't make a case, but you can do it in a winsome, kind way, not in a wrathful, vengeful way. But how many of us, think about your lives, I am going to take care of that problem because God isn't. And so we take it into our own hands, and we don't want to trust that God will act. And our God says what to us in verse 9? Those who wait for the Lord is those who inherit the land. I mean, this is the idea of blessing. This is going to become, inheritance of the land is such a massive concept, both in the Old Testament and the New, because you think about this, this is what John starts building on, um, or not really starts, but really builds on in Revelation about the new heaven and new earth. I mean, just the visual representation of what's going to happen is, is amazing. It's like, just wait, right? Wait on God, let him act. Because notice in verse 10, as he goes, because this is where the answer comes, we see there in verses 9 through 15, wait for God, right? Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Notice he goes on, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. See, the idea, I, I thought I saw him, but where did he go? But the meek 
shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant, in abundant peace. You begin to see the desires of the heart that he was getting at. You want peace, right? Not just about material wealth. I mean, God's going to care for you. You're going to see that talked about later. But the meek, I mean, our Lord would do, this is Matthew 5, 5, right? The Beatitudes, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? The idea, this, this idea of it's not those who are domineering and aggressive and oppressive and able to overrun others that will inherit the blessings of God. Who inherits? The meek. We also will translate this the gentle. This doesn't mean these are people who are, are weak in the sense of pushovers and don't care. That's not what he's saying. It's saying those, I mean, the idea is that you're able to restrain because of the work of the Spirit in your life and say, I don't have to act as men would act. I can act as God would have me to act. Remember the command earlier, trust in the Lord and do what? Do good. So it's, it's trust your Lord, work in the ways that he says you are to work. Follow his commands. Because this is for your good. He goes on in verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. It, it's almost, the picture there is like bearing of fangs, right? That's kind of how we would think about it. It's a, it's a sign of, of rabid aggression, just like you have rabies. And the Lord, but what does the Lord do? The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day coming. Right? It's, it's, that, it's that ironic state of you have no idea what is coming your way. For those who don't know Christ, and that's what I say, our God looks and he says, you may think your life is flourishing, but oh, you have no idea of the danger you're in. Because your day is coming. He says in verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy. To stay those who way, whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. He says ultimately what's going to happen is God is actually those who think they can use aggression and oppression to accomplish what God will do. God says it's going to turn on them. I mean, that's the idea here. You think you're going to be successful, it'll turn on you. And I think as Christians, this is one of the gracious things that God does in our life. Has there not been times in your life when you thought, well, that's fine, I'm going to take it in my own hands, I'll do it my own way, and God turns it on you? Instead of it being an ultimate judgment, it's an act of kind discipline, as the writer of Hebrews would tell us to try to train our hearts to say, stop trying it to do the way the world wants you to do it. Trust in your God. The third mistake that we see, or excuse me, the fourth mistake that we see is, is there in verse 16. It's this, that better are the blessings of today than the blessings of tomorrow. We have sayings for this, right? What is it? Uh, one in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? The old idea that it's better to have a, you know, I mean, there's some... There's some rationale in that, right? That's actually trying to teach you don't be envious. Just be happy with what you got. Stop trying to chase the two birds you don't. But we can turn that very idea and it becomes, well, whatever I can get today, that's the blessing I'll seek after because that's better than what I don't have because that comes tomorrow. And we begin to think that and we can deceive ourselves and it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Because when we see this great blessing on the horizon, we can, we can stop. But how often... 
We make financial decisions this way, right? Marketing relies on this, by the way. It relies on our desire for immediate gratification and that we are not disciplined enough for delayed gratification. It's built into that whole model. There's a reason. I mean, look, when I look at the hamburger, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm just uh, to a burger joint, fast food burger joint, whatever the burger they put on the screen is not the one they serve when I go eat there. You ever notice that? Yeah? I found out, this is little, you probably know this, there's literally people called food artists. You know what they do? They put the hamburger, they spray the right spritzers on it. Man, I'm going, that is amazing. I am seeking that burger joint. I'm like, I don't know, one of your franchises is cooked this way. Not you, I'm going to go to the next one, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. Because it deceives us. But as funny as that sounds to us in such a simple illustration of how marketing works, we will do that to ourselves in looking at our lives as we start looking at lives of others and begin to think, I want those blessings they have now because I'm unwilling to wait on the blessings that are to come. Notice verse 16 in, in how it reads, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. He, he's actually having to, re, to retort the idea, to respond to it. Don't be fooled that all those abundance you see they have is better than the little that you have. We, we compare all the time, don't we? And it, it, it can subtly, it's just it's seditious. And it leads us to begin to think, maybe I need to do something slightly different so I can have that blessing. Because that's, that's better if I can get it now than wait on what God is to bring. And David is saying, no, don't. Notice, because he warns, notice, notice his answer. His answer is basically this, the blessings of this world are temporary, but the blessings of God are eternal. There is something that is lasting about the blessings of God that is not like the blessings of this world, right? Notice how he talks about it. He says there in verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. It's such an interesting picture, right? Here, it's this picture of strength. And you're thinking, man, look at them. They're able to do what they want. They can accomplish what they want, right? They, they, they can do it. And, and he says, yeah, those arms, they're going to be broken. The arm that you want is the arm of God that will uphold you. Right? Trust in God. Stop being tempted by the world and what it would present to you. He goes on, notice in verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain how long? Forever. See, he's trying to convince these that he writes to. I mean, this, was, this, is, what, this is known uh, basically as a teaching psalm. The, the fancy word, as it were, is didactic. It's a teaching psalm. It's trying to teach us. Does this not sound similar to what you might read in Proverbs? Because it is. It's a wisdom psalm. It's teaching us something. And he's trying to convince. He says, you've got to realize what you see that they hold now, they won't be able to hold on to. They're going to have broken arms metaphorically. It'll be gone. Trust that your Lord will hold on to you because that's what he will do. And that's how you know that the days of the, the, the Lord knows the days of life and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Do you notice he's retorting the early argument, that, I, that I, the mistake I said we make? We think God hasn't taken notice and David say, no, 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 he does. He does care. And he does take notice. Don't be mistaken by your current circumstances. He goes on to write in verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. 
they vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. Like I said earlier, what's green today is dead tomorrow. And what you can see now is burned up. And David's warning us, don't think that that will last. What lasts is what God does. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. The word there, generous, is the word we get, we get Hannah from, the name Hannah. It's what we would, we would interpret typically grace. Our Lord is gracious and gives. That, that's how he works. So the righteous is gracious and give. For the blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Right? Those who follow after God are the ones who will be blessed. And David is trying to make an argument. Don't forget that. Because sometimes your circumstances will say something very, very different. The fifth mistake is this. God is unconcerned with the struggles and the sufferings of my life now. Right? In other words, I buy that he's eventually going to give me deliverance. He's, you know, ultimately I'm going to get that. But he's not really concerned in the here and now. If you look there in verse 23 and 24, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. What, what David's arguing is he's saying, look, he's not saying just the future steps. He's literally saying the present steps. You see that? They are established by the Lord. God is at work even in the now. And we can think because of the circumstances of our life, the sufferings, the injustices, what's going on, Maybe God has forgotten. Maybe he's not really concerned with the here and now. And David's trying to argue, no, the God establishes those steps. When this man delights in the ways of the Lord, delight, this goes back, delight in God. He actually says, though he fall, and this isn't the idea of like fall in the sense of like, if you took it in an ultimate sense, like fall into some heinous sin. It literally says, it's a metaphor. Though he falls, it's kind of like life starts crumbling. He will not be cast headlong. He'll not just be left out there by himself. The Lord upholds his hand. And this is the thing. Notice how it keeps talking about this. It's what God will do, not we will do. You notice that? God will, God will, God will. God will uphold. Uh, it's, it's not like God has lost his grasp on our lives. He fully has them in control. Notice how, how David answers, answers this. It's that God loves justice and does not abandon his people, so wait on God. That's his answer to this. I, I like verse 25. David's an old man. Do you notice that? Verse 25, I have been young and now I am old. This isn't David riding his young man. David's like, I'm an old man. And yet, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. By the way, don't forget David's life. You remember, running from his own son, right? So hungry, he's having to take bread out of the temple. I mean, I mean, you get the idea. David could give you a testimony of where he had gone through sin, right? Adulterer, murderer that he was. So David is not giving testimony of this from a life that was easy. He's saying, no, I had all kinds of challenges along the way. And he says, but God doesn't forsake the righteous. I'm convinced of that. For he is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. 
turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. Okay, know that. Okay, when all the injustice, when all the unfairness, when things don't seem to go right, David's like, you've forgotten what is true about our God. Our God loves justice. Therefore, there is a logical conclusion to this. He will not forsake his saints. He won't do it because he's a just God. And when you think he has, you've forgotten. Our God loves justice, so he won't forsake you. He says, they are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. And he goes on down, you can read all the way down through 38 as he continues to talk about this, but he, he just makes this argument, and you look at there in verse 34, that we are to wait for the Lord and keep his way. That is, just keep following your Lord. Don't give up on it. Circumstances, you may look and think, I should do something different because I want that. And the answer is, do what your Lord says. He loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. Wait on him and keep doing what his ways are. Do that. It says, then he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on it when the wicked are cut off. He is speaking to these Israelites to say, don't forsake your God. And we learn, as Paul said in the New Testament, from this, and it tells us, do not forsake our God. Because he does not forget us. Which leads me to the fifth thing we need to remember and that our salvation is from God. So trust Him. Notice the last two verses of the psalm. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's almost like there needs to be a footnote here. Not from you. Follow your God's way. It, it, let me, let's just be honest. At times... Following God is scary. It is. You know why? You are not omniscient. You don't know how it's going to work out. You know who is? Our God is omniscient. He knows everything. And what he is saying is, you need to remember who I am. The just God who does not forsake his saints. So trust me. And that's what he says. Our salvation is from the Lord. He is our stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they do what? Take refuge in him. They, they look at their God and they say, I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to stick with his ways. I'm going to trust him because he is the God that will save me. And he is the God that has saved me. Why would I ever doubt a God who would send his own son to pay for the punishment of my sin and bear his father's wrath on my behalf? If he will do that great thing that is impossible, should I not also believe he will do these lesser things that he's fully capable of doing in my life? And the answer is, absolutely I should. Our salvation is from our God. Trust him. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for David and the work of the Spirit in his life to pen these words in Psalm 37.
I now pray for those that don't know Christ. May they hear David's words and the warnings that are embedded in Psalm 37. Without God, there is no salvation. Father, may they know Christ and place their faith in him. For those of us that follow after Christ, because he is our Lord and Savior, God, let us not be a forgetful people. Help us that we will wait on you and trust in you because you are the God who loves justice and will not forsake his saints. In Jesus' name we pray and by the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, you'll stand with me. We're going to have a time of, of response. If you'd like one of the pastors to pray with you, if you don't know this gospel, if you do not know Christ, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to come talk to us. We'd love to share the gospel with you more so that you might know Christ. But if you need prayer, you feel free to come forward. The pastors will be up here up front. Let's stand and sing together. Come forward if, if you need a time of response.
Thank you. 